Thank you so very much. Um, there is not a, a, a central passage of Scripture that we're going to study from this morning. We're going to be in, a, in, a, in kind of in a few different places, and you'll see the references uh, there in your notes as we uh, journey, uh, continue to journey through experiencing God. And if you're in week two, you should be in week two. Um, you kind of know from, from the study that there wasn't a central place uh, even in this week's lessons. Uh, and so we're going to kind of do our, do our very best to kind of put all of that together into one uh, kind of message this morning. And remember the tagline, kind of the, the subtitle of experiencing God is knowing and doing the will of God. Knowing and doing the will of God. And so when this is over, the goal is that, that you and I would, number one, we would know God better. We would know Christ more intimately. We would recognize his voice. We would recognize his work, what he's doing, and we would get involved with it, whatever it is, whatever that looks like in the context for which um, God is using us and working in us. You'll see there on the back of the bulletin there in the notes, uh, this week's um, scripture memory verse, uh, some take pride in chariots and some take pride in horses, but we take pride in the name of the Lord our God. Another translation says some trust in chariots and some trust in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. And so that's kind of the premise for this week's study. Let's real quick just kind of look over the, the big headlines from last week. And we looked at seven, uh, six of the seven realities that are in the back of the notebook. Hopefully you're getting to know those and understand those. Let's just review those that we looked at last week. Number one, God pursues a love relationship with us. God pursues a love relationship with us. God is coming after us, and God is desiring for us to know him uh, in a love relationship, in an intimate way. Number two, God is always at work around us. Even when we may not see it or understand it or even begin to, to recognize it yet, we know from God's Word that He is always at work around us. God is doing something, okay? He is not a God who sleeps or slumbers. He doesn't take a holiday or a vacation. He is at work. And then number three, God invites us to become involved with Him in His Word. God wants us to get involved with what He's doing um, individually, corporately, in this community, uh, and around the world. Number four, uh, God speaks to us to reveal himself, his purposes, and his ways. And we're going to look a little more at that uh, this morning. God's invitation, number five, God's invita invitation for us to join him leads to a crisis of belief that requires faith and action. In other words, God is doing something. God invites us to get, along, get, get involved with him. Now, what do we do about that, right? We're at a crossroads, and we've got to make some decisions. Do I go left? Do I go right? What, am I going to get involved with him, or am I not? And then finally, uh, we must make adjustments in our life to join God in what he is doing. Uh, and we see that all through Scripture, and we're going to look at that a little more in detail in just a few minutes uh, this morning. So, today we're going to look at four principles. Uh, if you're following along there, you know what you'll see there. Four principles that will help us to embrace God's purpose and plan, okay? 
When, when God is at work around us, how do we embrace that? How do we get in? What do we need to know and understand to really get involved in that, okay? And so let's kind of look at the first one. Um, when you hear the word submit, what thoughts or images come to mind? The word submit, maybe, maybe it makes you think of servitude. Maybe it makes you think of inferiority or uh, slavery or bondage or oppression. Maybe you think of the word surrender or yield or, or to give in. When you, when you hear the word submit, kind of what, what comes to mind there? The reality is this. For, for some of us, um, the idea of uh, the idea or the thought of submitting to another person or submitting to, author- to an authority uh, is grotesque. For some of us, we think it's humiliating. It, it, it might evoke feelings of anger or resentment. Why? It, because it's a direct attack on our, what, what our perceived self-worth and self-value and, and our pride. Why is that? At our core, at the center of our being, None of us like to submit, and we fight that idea. We fight that principle uh, in, in our everyday life. If you don't believe me, just this afternoon when you leave church, ask yourself, why do I always drive in excess of the speed limit? Doesn't matter what it is or where it is, does it? Every one of us. If you're one of those rare less than a half a percent of people who who's, who who's drive right at the speed limit, God bless you, but nobody else does. Okay, I mean it's a reality, isn't it? We don't we just we don't like to submit to any kind of authority. Why do we fight it? Well, like I just mentioned, because submitting to another person or submitting to an authority stands in con- sharp contrast to to our our self this idea of our self sufficiency, our self confidence, our self value, our self worth, our self centeredness. Um, just it, it stands in contrast to the pride and the arrogance that all of us fight. That 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 I'm in charge. I'm in control. I set the pace for my own destiny. The idea of submitting just really stands in contrast to that that which you, that's true of all of us. Now, interestingly. As difficult as it is for all of us, submission is an integral part of the Christian experience. It's an integral part of what it means to follow Christ. Let let me just share with you the definition of submission. Uh, From Webster's Dictionary, here's what we read. The act of submitting to the power or authority of another. The act of submitting to the power or authority of another of another. Here's the reality as we talk about our faith. We cannot come to know Christ as Savior. Listen carefully. We cannot come to know Christ as Savior without submitting to His power and His authority. If any of us thinks that we can come to know Him as Savior and still claim, claim control of my life and of my destiny, then, then we've grossly misunderstood the gospel. The, the essence of salvation, the essence of salvation is denying self or dying to self and submitting to Christ. Look, look with me here from Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Look with me at this verse. Then he said to them all, Jesus is speaking, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, 
and follow me. Let him deny himself. In other words, you and I have to die to our selfish ambitions and desires and hopes and dreams and, and so forth and so on and submit and get in line with what Christ wants for us. And that, that's inherently hard for any of us to do. But in addition, uh, once we come to know Christ as Savior and Lord, the only way to live a God-centered life is to continue to submit to His power and His authority. I, I want to share with you a few verses where this idea is, is deeply embedded in the principles from these verses. First of all, look with me at Matthew 5 and verse 6. Jesus says to us in, in, that, in that passage that we refer to as the Beatitudes, look at what Jesus says to us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. The word blessed there means to enjoy the favor of God, to experience the hand of God, the favor of God. And, he's, and, and Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for for righteousness. That, that is the ways of God, the plan of God, for God alone is righteous. And so Jesus says, listen, you are blessed. You will enjoy the favor of God when you begin to, to, to hunger and thirst after the ways of God and the person of God and the character and the nature of God. Let's keep going. In Matthew 6 and verse 33, look what we read. Jesus says, but seek first that's an important word there. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Now, in the context of that passage, Jesus was talking to us and, and just teaching us how not to worry or why we shouldn't worry and get anxious about those fundamental needs that, that, all of, that every life has, specifically food and water and clothing. He says, why are you worried about those things? Why do you lose sleep over those things? He even says in that passage, I know that you need these things. I'm going to take care of you. And he says, listen, don't seek after those things. Don't seek after um, the material things of this world and the financial things of this world and the, and the, and the popularity of this world. Don't, don't go after those things. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all those other things will be provided for you. I'll take care of those things. Again, it, it just has the idea that we are submitting to his authority, and that is what is driving us. That's where our motivation is. Let's keep going. Look with me in Colossians 3, beginning in verse 1. Paul writes to these Christians in the city of Colossae, he says, So... If you have been raised with Christ, if you know Christ as Savior, look what he says, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died. Look at that. There's that whole idea of dying to self. You died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Paul says, listen, focus on those things of eternity. Get, quit focusing on the things of this world and seek those things above where Christ is. So here it is. If you and I are going to know and obey God's will, then we must daily deny self and submit to Christ. If we're going to know and obey God's will, we must daily set our minds on, on his purposes and on his plans. 
If we are going to know and obey God's will, we must begin to see life from his perspective and not our own. So here's the first principle. Look with me in your notes. If I'm going to embrace God's purpose and plan, here it is. I must daily die to self and daily submit to Christ. I mean, it's a day-to-day thing. We've got to wake up each morning and say, okay, today I am dying to self. I'm dying to my goals and my ambitions and my dreams, and I'm going to submit to Christ today, whatever that looks like. And listen, that's not easy to do. I mean, it, again, it strikes at the very core of our be, uh, of, of our th- this idea that we are that we that we are in control of our own destiny. Let's keep going. Another integral part of the Christian experience is understanding that we are God's servants. It's very interesting. The Greek word that is most often used to teach us this principle is a word that you and I would say uh, that we would re- uh, uh, um, pronounce as doulos. Doulos. Now, that is a word that the Greeks used to refer to an individual who was owned as a possession of another person. It is the word you and I would refer to as a slave or an indentured servant. It's quite interesting that that's the language Scripture uses to refer to you and I in our relationship with Christ. Listen to these verses here. Just listen carefully. In Romans 1, in verse 1, in Paul's introduction of that letter, he says this, Paul, a doulos of Christ Jesus. And in Philippians 1, in verse 1, we read this, Paul and Timothy, a doulos of Christ Jesus. James, James, a doulos of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1, in verse 1, Simon Peter, a doulos and an apostle of Jesus Christ. In Jude, verse 1, Jude, a doulos of Jesus Christ. Now, we translate that either as slave or as servant. It's quite interesting that that Paul and Timothy and James and Peter and Jude all understood the truth that as a follower of Christ, we belong to him, we are his servants, he is our master. The early church knew and understood this, and they didn't have a problem with that. But here's what gets even more interesting as we look at this word. The unbelieving community even understood this in the early church. In Acts chapter 16, as as, um, Luke is recounting Paul and Paul's missionary journeys, at one point they came across this slave girl who was a fortune teller, who made her her masters an awful lot of money in, in psychic readings and other things. Now, whether they came true or not, it didn't matter. People paid a lot of money for her to tell them what might happen, right? So here's what we read in Acts chapter 16 and verse 17. As she, referring to this slave girl who was a fortune teller, followed Paul and us, she cried out, and I quote, These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants, are the doulos of the Most High God. I find it very interesting that that the unbelieving community recognized in the early church this mindset they had that I am a slave of Christ, that I am his servant, that he is my master, that I belong to him. 
The unbelieving community recognized that through their behavior and their demeanor and their priorities and their perspectives and, and their motivations and, and so forth and so on. They, they, the, the early church had this keen understanding of that unique relationship that we have with Christ. So here's the second point for this morning. If I'm going to embrace God's purpose and plan, look with me here, I must understand that Jesus is my Lord and Master, and I'm his servant. Sometimes, especially in our Western, independent, rugged American culture, right, where we, 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 get, on, we, we get, get our horses tied up in our uh, carriages and we take across take off across the western plains and cross the Rocky Mountains, right? We have this mindset that, well, you know what, I, I'm nobody's servant. Well, that runs contrary to what it means to be a father. If we're going to embrace God's purpose and plan, then we need to be reminded of this. Throughout Scripture, it is always God who takes the initiative to engage those who have a personal relationship with Him, Okay? We looked at this in a little more detail last week. God will reveal himself, and he'll reveal his purposes, and he'll reveal his ways to a person or to, to a group of people. And we see that over and over in Scripture. And when God does reveal himself to us, that is an invitation for us to get involved. That's an invitation for us to join him, the God of the universe, in what he's doing. As you'll see in your study, if you haven't already, God is not waiting around to see what we want to do for him, whether individually or even as a church. He's not waiting for us to sit around a table and come to a decision, well, this is what we want to do. No, God is at work. God wants us to find out where he's working and get plugged into what he's doing. And again, he is working all around us. And he is working all around us to accomplish his plan and his purposes. Look with me at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. Last year, uh, at some point when I was studying through Philippians, this verse for the first time just jumped out at me. You know, you, you've read through that a hundred times and all of a sudden, boom, it hits you. Well, look at this verse here. Be encouraged with this. It, it, if you are a child of God this morning, be encouraged with this verse. Look what it says here. It is God who is working in you both to will and to work, watch this, according to what? His good purpose. So church, be encouraged this morning. God is working in you according to his good purpose. God has something for you, and he is molding you, and he is shaping you, and he is fashioning you according to that good purpose. Well, pastor, what if it's not the purpose I want? It's better. Trust me, it's better than the purpose that you want. Well, what if it doesn't align with my ambitions and my goals? It's better than your ambition and your goals. Trust me. And he is working in you according to that good purpose. Now, when God does speak to reveal himself and his purposes and his ways, how do we recognize it? How do we know it's God speaking? How do we recognize his voice. Well, in John chapter 10, we see a, 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 an analogy here that helps us to understand that. Look with me here. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 2. Jesus is speaking. He says this, the one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. 
The gatekeeper opens it for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own outside, he goes ahead of them. The sheep follow him because they know his voice. Verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Now, in the, in the historical context, let me try to explain this. There might have been a sheep pen where many different shepherds would put their flocks in there, their herds, okay, for whatever reason. So there could have been um, John sheeps and, and Jim sheeps and Philip sheeps and whatever it may be. But when you needed to go gather your sheep, the gatekeeper would open the gate and you would call your sheep out and they would recognize your voice and come to you. Similarly to maybe, maybe if you have a dog, right? Your dog knows your voice and your dog will respond to you. They may not respond to me, but they'll respond to you because they know you, they trust you. It's the same way here it is as it is with us in Christ. We recognize his voice. We know his voice. Why? Because we belong to him. We are his and he is ours. Now, look with me at John 8 in verse 47 because this offers us a stark contrast. Look what we read here. The one who is from God, or the one who belongs to God, listens to God's words. This is why you don't listen, or this is why you don't hear, because you are not from God. And the principle being this, if we are one of God's children, if we belong to him and we have a personal relationship with him, we are going to hear him. We are going to, to, to be able to discern his voice, and we're going to listen when he speaks. So what do we understand? What do we take away from those two passages? Here it is. The key to knowing God's voice is enjoying an intimate love relationship with him. The key to knowing God's voice is enjoying an intimate love relationship with him. The closer we get to him, the clearer his voice will be to us. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I just have a really hard time discerning when God's speaking. I, I have a hard time hearing when God is speaking. It may be a reflection of, of just where your relationship with, is, with, with him is. And here's what I'd encourage you. Get to know him better. Spend more time with him. Grow in Christ and it will be much easier to discern his voice when he does speak. Now, the Bible does say to us that he speaks to us by the Holy Spirit, primarily through the Bible and prayer. He can also speak to us through, through circumstances, and he can certainly speak to us through the church. Uh, the primary ways that God speaks is through his word and prayer. And be encouraged with this, all right? The voice of God will never contradict the written word of God. Ever, not on any occasion for any reason. God's voice will never contradict the written word of God. And we are taught that the Holy Spirit is our teacher, okay? That the Holy Spirit would illuminate our heart and our mind to truth. Look with me here in John 14 and verse 26. Jesus makes this statement. The counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, watch this, will teach you all things. 
Now, the Holy Spirit, on this occasion when John 14 was written, when Jesus said this, the Holy Spirit had not yet come to indwell the people of God. We see that happening on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And Jesus promises us that. Look with me in John 16 and verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. And so here's what you and I need to remember. As we study God's Word and as we pray, the Holy Spirit will teach us truth. And when he does, here's how we respond. We need to listen carefully and we need to respond obediently as he teaches us truth. So here's the third principle this morning. If I'm going to embrace God's purpose and plan, look with me here, I must understand that knowing God's voice comes from an intimate love relationship with Him. If you and I are going to hear and discern the voice of God, it'll be the result of an intimate relationship we have with Him. All right? Let's keep going. Throughout Scripture, um, when God speaks to His people... He always does so uh, with a specific purpose in mind, okay? What do I mean by that? In Scripture, we, we don't see God coming and speaking to his people just to engage in casual conversation, right? We, we don't see God coming saying, yeah, what would you think about the game last night, right? Man, it sure is cold weather we're having today. Or, you know, hey, have, have you seen the price of milk and eggs lately? Those aren't the conversations that God has with his people, okay? Those are the conversations you and I might have with one another, but God doesn't engage in those conversations. When God speaks, he does so with a very specific purpose. For example, when God spoke to Noah, what did he speak to him about? He told Noah about the coming flood. He told Noah that he's getting ready to destroy all living things on planet Earth through the flood. When God spoke to Abraham, what did he tell him? He told him that he was beginning to build a holy nation of which Abraham would be the father, a nation set apart for God's purposes, for God's plans. When God spoke to Elijah at Mount Carmel, what did he tell him? He told him that he was getting ready to do something mighty and reveal himself in a way never before seen to the Hebrew people. When God spoke uh, to Samuel, he told him to anoint a shepherd boy, the youngest of Jesse's sons, to be king. When God spoke to Paul, he told him that he would be Christ's ambassador to the Gentiles. Very specific, okay? And so the moment that God speaks, the moment that God reveals his truth to us is the moment he wants us to respond to him. However, it may be some time down the road before God accomplishes what he wants to do in us and through us. Let, let me explain. God will take whatever time is necessary to prepare us for the work that he wants to do through us. Here's some examples. It was 120 years after God told Noah to begin building the ark when the rain came. A 120-year lesson 120 years of character development, 120 years of spiritual growth and maturity before the first raindrop fell. It was 25 years after God's promise of a son that Abraham and Sarah had Isaac. 25 years. It was 10 to 12 years after Samuel anointed David king that he assumed the throne. 
It was 10 to 12 years after uh, Paul's encounter with the living Savior on that road to Damascus before he took his first missionary journey. So God is going to take some time to mold us and shape, uh, shape us and fashion us to get involved uh, when he calls us to get involved with what he is doing. He, he's got to do some work to prepare us, to prepare our hearts and our minds. And when he does, listen, it will take some adjustment in our life. If we are going to walk faithfully and obediently to the work that God has for us, there will have to be some adjustments in our lives. There, there's no way around that truth. In some cases, those may be major adjustments. God may call you to an entire career change. God may call you to leave the, this community and move all the way to Seattle, Washington to be a part of a church plan. I don't have any idea. Then the, the adjustments might be minor. It might be something as simple as you need to go across the street and introduce yourself to your neighbors and invite them over for dinner so you can begin a relationship with them. So it might be major, it might be minor. I don't know what it will be, but it does, either way, there will have to be adjustments in our life to follow the plan that God has for us and what he wants us to do. And here's what's so awesome. When we make the necessary adjustments, when we start to obey him, here's what happens. We come to know him. We come to know his nature and his character more intimately, more passionately every day as we experience him. And we see this in Scripture, right? The longer these men and women in Scripture walked with God, the more intimate their relationship with him became. And the more intimate their relationship with him became, the easier it was for them to discern his voice and to recognize what he was doing. Just take some examples. Take Moses. We talked a little bit about this last week. The Moses we see on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments was not the same Moses who was in the wilderness of Midian when he encountered God at the burning bush. He, God had grown him and matured him, and as he experienced God's faithfulness and God's goodness every day of his life, that relationship became more and more intim intimate. How about David? When Samuel anointed David king, he, he was the youngest of his dad's son, and he was just shepherding his father's flocks. In his own family, he, he was nobody, and his own brothers laughed at him. But over the next 10 to 12, 15 or so years, God prepared him and molded him and shaped him through various ways to prepare him to be king of Israel. How about Paul? Paul was against Christ. He was against the church of Christ. He was against the people of God on that road to Damascus. He was headed to Damascus to arrest Christians and put them in prison when God interrupted his life. And said, Paul, at the time his name was Saul, he said, Saul, I've got something better for you. My plan is better for your life. And 10 or so, 12 years later, Paul went on that first missionary journey. And literally, through his ministry, the world was turned upside down for the gospel of Christ. And how God worked in Moses' life, how he worked in David and Paul and Abraham and, and Rahab and, and Boaz and Ruth and everybody else all throughout Scripture, he wants to do the same thing in your life and my life. He wants us to know him intimately as we experience him daily. So here's the fourth principle this morning. 
If I'm going to embrace God's purpose and plan, you ready? Watch this. I must understand that God, who is my Lord and Master, has the right to interrupt my life and work in me and through me however he desires. Now, let's be honest and transparent with one another this morning. That bothers every one of us right there. Because we like our lives, don't we? We like the comfort. We like the, the predictability. We, we, we like the, the, the schedule. We like the routine. But if indeed he is our master and we are his servant, he has every right to interrupt our life at any point he wants to do what he wants to do in us and through us. Think about Matthew chapter 4. The Bible tells us that Jesus, as, he walk, as he's walking along the Sea of Galilee, he, t- he sees two sets of brothers. He sees Simon, whom he would later call Peter, and his brother Andrew as they are casting their net in the sea, as they're fishing, and he says, follow me, and I'll make you fish for people. And then right behind it, he sees James and John, the sons of Zebedee there with their father in the boat, and he says, follow me. He interrupted the lives of those four fishermen that he would use to literally turn the world upside down. And he has the right to interrupt your life, and he has the right to interrupt my life, however he deems necessary for his purpose and his plan to be accomplished. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, As we continue to study what it means to experience you, what it means to know and to do your will, Lord, I pray that we would embrace your purpose and your plan. Lord, even when it's not easy, and oftentimes it's not, even when the adjustments seem illogical or unreasonable to our finite mind, Lord, I pray that we would respond faithfully and obediently to what you want to do in us. And Lord, that we would daily die to self and daily submit to you. Father God, we are yours. We belong to you. Have your way in us, Lord. Do in us what you want to do to accomplish your plan and your purpose. Move and work, Lord, in ways that only you can for your glory and for your honor. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen.